Spring turkey season is upon us, and don't be caught out in the woods without having Onyx Hunt on your phone. One feature Onyx has that is often overlooked for turkey hunting is their recent imagery filter with their elite memberships. This imagery is updated week to week, and it comes in extremely handy, especially when you're trying to find these gobble zones where these turkeys will go out in a high spot on a fresh clear cut and strut around all day long. Actually, I was just looking at on Onyx where, where the timber company just came into Andrew's club and did a very small clear cut along this creek, and I can see the high spots on the topographical map, but also I can see exactly where they mulch, and those are going to be hot spots for finding gobblers, especially mid-morning after they get off their hens, getting up on these little high spots in this fresh, small clear cut along the creek and strutting and gobbling all day long. If you want to give Onyx a try, you can actually download it for free, try it for seven days, and if you decide to purchase, you can use the promo code SOUTHERN and save on your premium and elite memberships. So go into this turkey season, know where you stand with Onyx. Well, guys, we have some exciting news for you from Vortex about their brand new eyewear, their Banshee and Jackal sunglasses. Me and Andrew have had these for a few weeks now, right before the release, and we've been extremely impressed. They're awesome glasses, guys. And listen, if you're needing some new sunglasses, not only do they have the VIP warranty, but they're tough as crap, guys. Uh, Scratch-resistant eyewear, uh, it's extremely important. And also, they have safety features as well. So when you're out shooting at the range, again, these are rated glasses, so you are going to be more than protected when you're at the range. But they also look fantastic when you're out around town. So right now, Vortex has some special pricing on their website, which is vortexoptics.com for the new eyewear. But also, if you use the code SOUTHERN20, you get to save even more on this special pricing for right now at vortexoptics.com. Again, check out the new eyewear from vortexoptics.com and use the promo code SOUTHERN20 to save on their brand new eyewear. Hey everybody, this is Kyle V, host of the Ozark Podcast. If you like the Southern Outdoorsman Podcast, we have a show for you. We sit down with local outdoorsmen of Arkansas, Missouri, and Oklahoma to talk all things hunting, fishing, conservation, history, and culture in the Ozark Mountains region. Just like the outdoorsmen who live here, we follow the seasons and interview regional experts to discuss the pursuits of hunting turkeys, bears, and whitetail, as well as the science behind their conservation. Join me and my co-host Kyle Plunkett every Wednesday and make sure you subscribe so you don't miss an episode. You're listening to the Southern Outdoorsman Podcast. Make sure you like and subscribe to the podcast. You can check us out on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube. If you'd like to support the show, you can go to patreon.com forward slash the Southern Outdoorsman. Now let's get to the episode. Presented by Hunting Exchange, a marketplace for serious hunters by serious hunters. Welcome back, everybody, to another episode of the Southern Outdoorsman Podcast. This outro is a little bit different from what we normally do on Wednesdays because this week we're interviewing... The man, the myth, the legend, Michael Perry, who you've heard on the show before and a couple episodes in the in the recent past, uh, because he might have just smashed the state record for muzzleloader bucks. Uh, Michael, how are you doing? Great, especially great right now. <laughs> I bet, Jacob. Uh, Jacob, how are you? I'm actually not in person right now. The three of you are in person. 
And I'm recording remote, so it's a little bit different. But, Jacob, how are you? I'm doing well. And I'm also sitting here with Mr. Jamie McKay. Came on down after work uh, to do an awesome outro. I'm, I'm kind of surprised. You know, we're, this is like probably the best outro we've ever done because normally, you know, something like this we do for a main episode. But, hey, guys, you know, we're putting out some cool stuff for a uh, midweek episode here. But uh, appreciate, it, Jamie, you coming down. And, Michael, appreciate you letting us come in and not only see the deer in person, which, by the way, Andrew, listen, Andrew said might be the state record. Michael just crushed the state record by five inches, so uh, I guess we'll get it confirmed a little bit later. But yeah, officially scored uh, with the um, uh, Buckmasters uh, score, Steve Lucas, um, and uh, real quick shout out BJ Davis from uh, Suburban Bowhunter did an awesome video that's on YouTube of the actual scoring process uh, in person and actually seeing the results uh, and Michael's reaction to it, and it was fantastic. I told Michael, I told BJ, I almost I almost shed a tear, man, seeing uh, Michael's reaction to it. It was awesome. I'd already shed about a thousand tears already to me by myself with him when I when I took him. So it was, yeah, Absolutely. it got me because I was not expecting that. That was not in my mind at all about it being a state record. But I, but I appreciate it and I'll take it. So and he deserves it. So well, we we got to talk about this real quick. Um, you know, first off, you you killed an absolute giant. For anyone that doesn't know, any of our listeners that don't know, Michael shot a hundred and ninety-five and six eight. Uh, inch buck on a piece of public land in Alabama, uh, which breaks the uh, muzzler state record for the state uh, by just over five inches. Uh, so an unbelievable deer. And thing is, you know, Michael, you told me um, in person, or I guess on the phone, photos don't do it justice. And I was like, okay, yeah, and, you know, a lot of people say it, but when you see it in person, it's absolutely the truth because there's certain points and things that you can't see on the deer uh, unless you get like a 360 degree view of the deer. So. It's unbelievable, but uh, I gotta ask you what's uh, what's been going through your head ever since Friday and everything had happened. It's been a fuzzy, uh, just a nonstop crazy, you know, mess really. But I mean, I'll take it. But it's just been something else because I would like to say I was not expecting a state record, and after that, everything my phone blowing up, people calling. It's just it's just something. And then getting him scored. So we've been wild up in our campers at camp. We've been going back and forth to it. So. Had to skin him out, uh, met the tax number to skin him out because it's going to be a full body mount, so we had to do that. So there's a bunch of things going on. So, But it's been fun, but it has been you know, very little sleep. So Absolutely. Well, we got to dive into a little bit about the deer, but it's about the hunt as well. Uh, this deer you got have some history with, correct? Yes, yes. So yes. how long have you known about this deer and kind of had photos and everything tracking them? This year will be the third year I had photos of him, but I did not have a that I did not, but I did not know I had a photo until after I killed him. When the next time I checked the camera, and uh, but yeah, it, mine, he was my goal this year to hope to see him. I was hoping he's going to be around 180. Uh, I bought a crossbow specifically for this deer, but but my goal also was I was not going to take my rifle. I was going to take muzzle loader the whole season, hopefully to put one in the record book with the muzzle loader, and uh, just so happen there he is. So. Yeah, I, I mean. I'll say this uh, in person. I got to put my hands on a uh, BJ's uh, 198 inch buck last year. So in, within two, within a year, I've been able to put my hands on two Alabama bucks that are in the 190s, and it's unbelievable. I mean, this deer, the main beams, everything about this deer is unbelievable. But again, the photos are are crazy enough. But the, the hunt seems pretty amazing. But let me say this: this deer here, you've had you know now three years of history with him and getting him killed. Um, what was special about this deer and kind of, you know, how he was running around? I mean, it took you three years to finally catch up to him. I mean, what what was the, the biggest pattern there? Or well, kind of the not really there? a pattern. I just – I would only get like two or three pictures of him a year. And the first year I got pictures of him, I probably got the most pictures. I had him early, like in November. And then 
later on in March, he was walking around with two or three other bucks that had done shed, but he still had his horns, and he looked like he'd been hurt or something. And he still had the splits and stuff, and I was kind of worried about him and showed it to the biologist. And he said, well, we don't know, but maybe he'll make it. But then last year, I had him walking around in daylight in November a couple of times, and I missed him by one day as far as he showed up the day after a hunt. And uh, But he was running 160, I'm thinking then. And then I'm telling, I told, you know, Jamie, and I told a few other people, probably y'all show pictures. I said, you know, I think he might be 180 next year if he makes it with all the food source that we've been having. So but anyway, I did, but I did not have a picture of this year until after I killed him. And I, he'd come by October 17th at night on camera. So and I pulled it out the other day. So uh, my goal was to try to hopefully get a get see him in the daylight because i didn't go to this spot until november 5th or whatever that was but i think it was the 5th we, we've got the score sheet in front of us right. november 5th is when i when i took him and that was the first time i'd been in that area so and i knew he would according to his pattern from the last couple of years that he would start walking around in november in daylight some so well let's talk about that let's talk a little bit about the historical movement and kind of what you'd learned through the past couple of times you've had on camera to kind of what made you want to go into this area at the time of the year and how to go about hunting them. The biggest thing is, you know, most time these big bucks, I don't have already any pictures of them early and every now and in velvet, but he just, he just kept showing up around November, say the second week of November, third week of November, just a couple of times in daylight. And I figured if I could spend enough time, you know, there, hopefully I would get a chance to see him. And last year I spent quite a bit of time there, but I just like to say, I missed him by one day. The day after the a gun hunt, I was down there, he'd come by trailing three does at, at nine something, just one day away. So he was, he was using this area specifically during November, you know, most of the time. So it's just a travel area. You know, y'all heard me talk about creek crossing and stuff like that. Well, he was using the creek crossing, but I'm not going to say exactly where on the creek crossing, but it was a, uh, it wasn't exactly right on it. But he was using that for a, for a pinch point in the edge, and just catch him every night and using it. So he wasn't doing it every day or anything like that. But the does were pretty frequent about coming through there. So he might have been just checking on them every night and then. And that's what I was going to ask you is how important was it to also know kind of the pattern of the does in there and kind of keeping up with your does i mean did you have a pretty good idea of kind of how yeah, the does were coming they, through yeah they do the same thing every year so i, I, I kind of think only when the pressure starts a little bit they kind of move into there a little bit so but that's that's my theory about my cameras i use i, I don't check them much so i use them for next year's data basically what i'm doing and so like i pulled it the other day just to see and he come through in october like i say but i've only got like two or three other decent bucks on it but that's that's my biggest thing is I use my cameras for next year's data. I've got them, several of them out on different pinch points, funnels, and stuff like that. You just kind of see. You're trying to get a pattern from year to year. Maybe if it changes, we're more acorns or whatever. Just see if anything changes and keep up with it. In my journals, I keep up with that stuff in my journals. So. Well, before we – we're going to talk about the actual hunt in just a little bit. But before we do, Jamie, let me ask you this. With your style of running cameras, you check cameras a little bit more fre- frequently, correct? Not this year. I think I've checked them maybe three times. Mm-hmm through the whole summer to now and uh, they come in in the summer and they leave out and i hope the rut brings them back in like a nine point i had last year on camera i really liked to was hoping to see and he come in during the rut and actually fought a big seven and then i didn't see him again well he showed back up one time again this summer hope he shows back up this year that camera that i checked the other day whether he was on that was july when the last time i'd when I spoke the car, that was July. So, and how far was that camera from where you shot him? Like, uh, it's pretty close. Okay, but but in the same, so in the same, same area, yeah, same, same, same area. That's that's my that's where I want my cameras at is where I would hunt it. I don't, you know, it's it's some kind of travel area or something. It's not where I'm putting out bait or anything like that, which you can't do. But it's somewhere where I think a buck is going to use every now and then. So, 
So, so I guess the style of your you're putting cameras out, it's not worth your time putting cameras out in the air that you know you can't go in and hunt. Right. I'm not going to put them where I can't hunt. So. That's, that's only smart because you hear a lot of guys talking, running trail cameras, they'll kind of just scatter cameras everywhere just to kind of catch a buck but might not have a, a strategy of, hey, this is a huntable spot for whatever reason. And they go back, you learn the area and how, how you think deer will travel, and then you put the cameras out like that, that's the best, you know, my best device is learn a whole mile and a half square or two miles square, then – then try to figure out travel corridors and, and use cameras like that, but don't don't overcheck them because they'll adjust. The bucks will adjust. So, now, how- uh, hey guys, I'm gonna I'm gonna jump in right here. By the way, uh, for a lot of the stuff that uh, Michael's talking about here uh, to all the listeners, you can actually go back. Our most recent episode with him is episode 260. I'm gonna link it in the show notes of this, and the title of that was actually honing in on the best funnels and creek crossings with Michael Perry. So we talk about. A lot of the stuff that we're kind of breezing over right here, which uh, we might want to get into it a little bit more. Uh, but like I said, that is going to be linked in the show notes. There's also a couple more podcasts that we've done with him in the past uh, that you might want to listen to. You can go search it on Spotify or iTunes to go find those. Uh, but I just want to throw that out there while we're discussing this because uh, we, we talked about that at length in episode 260. Yep, and the episode 200, which is pretty much right around this time last year is when we did episode 200. Yeah, and- we, we actually dropped it on this day last year. Wow. wow. And that, that's the last time, Jamie, you were on the podcast, I think it was episode 200, because that was you, uh, Michael, and then also Wes. Uh, Wes Moe was all on that show. Um, so, yeah, hey, full circle. Look at this, man. Full circle. Pretty cool. Um, well, awesome. Yeah, so, guys, definitely go back and check out those episodes. Um, but the one thing, again, I'm just interested in is, again, the importance of, from both of y'all's perspectives of just knowing every little thing about the areas that you're focusing on hunting and running cameras. And, and not going through the mindset of what's over the next ridge. Instead of, you know, thinking through your head what's over the next ridge, you already kind of know because you spent the time walking through the woods. You understand everything about that. So you have a better understanding than, you know, a guy that maybe goes out and scouts a specific spot, but he doesn't scout the general area around it. So he might be sitting in a stand like, oh, crap, you know, a buck scared me 100 yards from here. You know, what's over that next ridge? Well, if that happens to you guys, you kind of know what he's going through, the travel corridor or whatever he's hitting, so you can adjust quicker. Right. Yeah, me and Jamie Callan have a little bit different scenario. He does a lot of scouting right now. If he's, you know, he'll hunt some, he'll scout right now, trying to find the fresh design. Where I've kind of, and that's, I mean, that's great for him. That's what he wants to do. That's fine. It worked for him. He kills deer every year, and he's fixing to kill one here probably this weekend. So, but I just, whenever I make my plan, I've already got, <laughs> <laughs> he's, he's ready. I've already got my five or six places or more picked out how I'm going to do it. If this don't work out, then I'll go to this and like that. So, and I just move around. But I don't. I don't it's very rare that I do any in-season scouting because just over history and time, it just it tells me where I kind of need to be or then be patient. So. Well, it's two different styles, which is something that's interesting. So, Michael, you're coming from the historical sign approach where you're going off historical sign historical data stuff you found from previous years and then building upon it to then where you're going to set up where jamie a little bit more of kind of historical science slash what are you finding in season to make that quick adjustment in order to kill whatever buck's coming through that you're trying to target um so it's kind of interesting you got two guys here that are both extremely successful at doing their own style of hunting hunting same piece of public land but two different approaches and being successful with it uh which is kind of interesting because again one thing we hear about from so many listeners is Hey, you know, you interview, we, you know, them asking us, y'all interview so many different people, so many different styles. How do you not get, you know, so wound up in it all? Because you may talk to one person who says a big in season scouter, like Jamie, and then you'll talk to somebody, say, like Michael, that's a little bit more kind of historical sign, postseason scouting, stuff like that, to figure out where to target. And how do you, you know, 
kind of select what's going to work for you. And I say a lot of it comes down to your personality and who you are and kind of what may work where you're at and putting in some effort. So what y'all's both advice, Jamie, I'm going to ask you first, when it comes to like if there's a newer hunter or somebody that's not sec- not confident in what they're doing, to figure out what may work from them after hearing a bunch of other guys talking like, you know, Tony Myers and some of these other guys we've had on the show, hearing all these other guys talk about what helps them be successful to then figure out, hey, what can I probably try to use in my neck of the woods and try to implement? I mean, do you have any kind of advice for that, somebody trying to figure out their own style when it comes to hunting public land? Get out there and scout and find all the sign you can. Uh Find all your trails, all your crossings. Don't overcheck your cameras and be patient. If they don't come through this day, that day, and I hear some people said they'd listen to the podcast and say the one thing that they got out of it, comments you read, being patient and stand time. But you got to find, you got you to kind of know how you want to hunt. You know, if you think you can be out patient and, and make a plan to hunt all day, or if you, or there's an old man that hunts in the same area as we do. His idea is he's going to scout every morning and hunt every evening, and he kills big buck every year. So you got to – Jamie's all fired yeah, up. Yeah. He got, the guy got one of his deer head on camera. Oh, so, really? Yeah. Oh. <laughs> so, this year. Yeah, really? this year, this year. So, but, oh, yeah. man. You try to figure out a style that you want to you know, do or you feel like you're comfortable with and then make it work by listening to, say, us or whoever and then and try to put that plan to work. You know, Because not every style is going to fit every hunter. So – some people can't just sit all the time. They got to figure out a way to do it. You know, bump him, you know, bump him up and shoot him, or make a plan like that or something. Well, and that's kind of where I was getting at. Is, you know, y'all are coming from the perspective of you know having decades of experience doing things, failing at a lot of things to figure out what works for you. Well, when you're talking to somebody that's maybe only been bow hunting for four years or five years, or just now getting into it, they haven't gone through all those failures to figure out what may or may not work for them. So, and that's the ones that the people that always have a lot that ask us a lot of questions of you know, I've only been hunting for a few years, or maybe I've been hunting for 10, 15 years, but they've been hunting nothing against it, but say they're hunting on a club and they're just, they don't really think about their hunting green fields. It's a really simple way of hunting. And then they're trying to hunt public land or hunt a little bit more kind of mobile and hunt hot sign. And they struggle because they're not trying to, they can't really figure out what it takes to replicate what they're hearing on the show from some successful hunters and then going out there and trying to find it in the field. That's probably the biggest, I guess, disadvantage with podcasts is you don't get the visual, um, aspect of what you guys are seeing and keying in on because this is an audio show you know we're just trying to describe what y'all are seeing and feeling and and how you're putting yourself in these positions but until someone i guess really sees it and experience it and screws up on big deer you kind of learn on what works and what doesn't work probably you know with facebook now you can go back and look like a new hunter if you're picking out a certain area county wise you can see when the rut hit last year go back and look at old info uh, club lands, a lot of them keeps up with the uh, the harvest record from year to year. You can see what time frame, what two weeks is the best because, you know, some people don't have the uh, vacation time built up or what. That that way they can really hone in on certain weeks, put all their time. I mean, if, uh, if you know the rut's only them two weeks, hunt all you can all day long. For two weeks. Yeah, and I try to stay out on the edges, you know, early season. I try to stay on the edges, try to find a buck bedding on the outer, outer parts of my area and, and come straight on them, playing with them early season, but leaving the prime. Because I don't want to, if you, if you inter, interject too much early, it's possible you change them nocturnal quicker than you don't have anywhere else to go once you go in 
to the core area so i always i always try to start out first and then move in or also if you're hunting areas with a lot of does and doe groups if you go in to those really awesome funnels and everything early on and you educate the does those might not use that funnel anymore or at least not during daylight or you have situations where a guy hunts the same tree and i've known guys like this in the past where you'll go find a pine tree and it looks like he's taking the the bark off the tree because he's climbing so much with it and the deer just know to skirt, and you have to start having deer blow at you because they know they've been, you know, they've ran into somebody in this little area, and they're going to circle downwind every single time. And then that spot's pretty much, for the most part, ruined for a while until the deer kind of get back to a natural pattern. So I guess that's a really good approach is like, hey, hunt that fringe of like you're really, that area they really focus on, and then come, you know, getting into the rut, kind of the early pre-rut or late pre-rut into the rut, then dive into those primo spots and, and sit all day and, and well, go all in. My plan right now, I got four deer that I'm on. They're not in the same area. I bow hunted the one area once. The other area, bow hunted once, muzzleloader hunted once. One of them is not good at all for bow hunting because it's right above a creek crossing. Hadn't even been in there. I'm waiting to go in on it. And then a buck that I had pictures of back in 2019, I went back over and checked. He's back. I'm waiting to get on him. I was going to wait to thanksgiving but some of the actions from, from friends that's got cell cameras showing right now i think i'm gonna go ahead and get on him and when i say be persistent on and patient i'm planning on if it's not rain after the rain friday all day saturday all day sunday all day thanksgiving bow hunt one all day and the next four days stay in the tree they like the dark so well i gotta ask you said something that i just want to ask you on why is that one spot above the creek crossing not good for bow hunting? It's so steep. I don't think I can get the wind right. And the way they're traveling, I just I don't feel confident in it to even be in there with a bow. During the bow or the muzzleloader, I didn't want to go in none of these spots because I know it's prime time when to be in there. So I didn't even climb in the same tree morning or evening. But I had some bucks fighting on camera or spar, nothing major. And buddies sending me some on their cell cameras. So I rattled. I seen seven different bucks, and I only hunted Monday four days. Hmm. Nothing that I wanted to shoot, but I thought, well, I'm going to try this. I tried. I watched my watch every 30 minutes, just, just tickle the tines, just grind them, not pound them. And, man, I seen, like I said, seven different bucks in four days. But that Saturday, I was going to go for a push with a rifle hunt. I seen zero. I didn't take no horns with me. I seen zero deer. Well, see, and that's something that's interesting. So we did an episode, God, Andrew, when did we do uh, Richard's episode, episode 290? Uh, that must have been probably three or four weeks ago now. Yep. So episode 290 we did with Richard Fott, and it's uh, all about calling. It's The title's The Right Way to Call uh, with Richard Fott, and he's a big proponent of grunt of using grunts and rattles on public land calling deer but he does it very subtly he's not overly aggressive at all very very subtle grunts soft grunts or if you're outside of 100 yards you're not going to hear him even on a calm day same thing rattling you know very much kind of like that grinding tickling antlers and grinding has a ton of success and we've had literally in the last four days like seven to ten i gotta count listener success stories come in off using both those grunts and rattle sequences from guys across the southeast and it's like, that again, that grinding motion. A lot of guys, they think of rattling or slamming antlers together. They see all this stuff in the Midwest. And Alabama deer and a lot of these deer in the southeast days just aren't going to respond to that. Uh, even though you got a big old buck like this, you know, doesn't mean they're going to be coming hauling butt in here if you're, you know, slamming antlers together and everything else. 
Uh, so that's interesting. Again, Jamie talking about you know grinding the antlers, tickling the tines, and seeing seven different bucks in four days. I mean, that's awesome. And for the average guy, you say for the average guy, you think most guys would probably shoot you know at least one of those deer. You think they might shoot one of the seven points, but mm-hmm. other than that, they wouldn't shoot none of the rest of them. Oh, you, you've never, not where I was at. I was just saying, well, you, oh, oh, well, that's that's a good point too. Yeah. When know. you walk an hour one way. <laughs> And when I say I seen them, it was yeah. two or three. I had to take the cell phone and just lean over the my bar. They was under me. Oh wow! And one spot, I think uh, I've climbed it. This makes the third time, and I thought, well, I ain't gonna see nothing. I'm gonna, you know, finally get to scratch this and have a zero. And he come off the ridge, come right down to my tree, and he he pinned me down so fast I couldn't get my phone out to take a picture. And I got it out and snapped a picture before he left. I didn't even get the video. Two or three of them. I videoed under my tree. They come in to close. Hunting Gear Deals is dedicated to helping the hunting community find the best deals on hunting gear from across the web. Each day they scour the web for deals, sales, and coupon codes on hunting gear to help you save time and money on your next purchase. Head on over to huntinggeardeals.com and join their daily deal email list. Each day you'll receive deals that are emailed to you uh, from across the country on the best sales and promos that are going on for that day for the, your favorite hunting equipment. If you're a gear fanatic like us, then be sure to check out their extensive collection of unbiased and honest gear reviews submitted by hunters from across the country just like yourself. Black Friday and Cyber Monday is coming up, so when you're out shopping for yourself or for Christmas gifts, make sure that you check out Hunting Gear Deals for some great finds. Hunting Gear Deals is your number one resource during Black Friday and Cyber Monday for hunting-related deals across the web. During these special sales events, Hunting Gear Deals compiles a huge list of all the best hunting-related deals in one place, saving you time and money. Make sure to go click the link in the show notes to go visit HuntingGearDeals.com and see all the great deals they have right now. This podcast is supported by Mark's Outdoors. If you're from around Birmingham, you know of a a staple in the hunting community here, and that would be Mark's Outdoors. They've been in business in the same location for over 40 years, family-owned and operated, and they have a reputation for being one of the best bow shops in the southeast. As we inch closer and closer to deer season, if you haven't already, it's time to dust off that bow and make sure that she's ready to roll for this hunting season. Go stop by Mark's Outdoors and check out their archery counter with Mark and Robbie, two guys I've known for years, excellent bow techs. They've worked on my bow since I started bow hunting. They got all the knowledge and accessories that you need to get ready to rock for this bow season. While you're in there, also make sure you check out their gun counter. They got a ton of nice rifles for everything from AR platforms to nice deer rifles and a bunch of nice shotguns as well. They also have one of the best knife selections in Alabama. I mean, really nice stuff. All kinds of custom knives in there and their ammo selection is just unbeatable as well. We're thrilled to have Mark's Outdoors on board and we thank them for supporting the podcast. Now we're going to ask you guys to go support them. That's crazy. Um, I was I was going to ask, you know, we've had a lot of people, you know, ask us, especially within the last week or so, a little bit more rut hunting tactics and rut hunting approaches, which we're going to get into with some of our next Monday episodes coming up. But, you know, for you guys, you know, when it comes to the rut, I know a lot of th- things y'all talk about is the persistence factor and time on stand, because if you're not on the stand and you're not being persistent and staying focused, you know, you're, never, you're not going to have an opportunity. I mean, if you're just hunting, you know, daylight till 9.30 in the morning, and you're only hunting, you know, 3.30 in the afternoon to dark, there's a lot of window of time you're really missing opportunities at. Plus, 
how many guys are going to be walking as far as you guys are and only hunting a few hours in the morning, a few hours in the evening. Um, so, well, I mean, what are some of your other big approaches or, or things to talk on or touch on when hunting the rut as, you know, we're experiencing right here kind of north central Alabama and a lot of other people are, you know, experiencing across the country that have that true November rut? I, I like using the grunt calls to an extent, but I, I can't hear that good, so I'm not a big fan of the blind calling unless I think I might hear something or something's kind of goofing, but... The Richard Fott thing with that light grunt, the tending grunt, that's, if I'm doing it, that's what I do, like three or four, just meh, 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 then, and a can call, you know, t- to an extent. Now, my wife, my wife sees a lot of deer with a can call, so, but uh, I feel like I'm doing more of an ambush thing in the travel corridor, so I don't really have to do that, so, but, you know, you can do that and be fine. It's not going to bother a deer, so. Same thing, I, the can call's great. I told my father-in-law, I think, Two seasons ago, three seasons ago, I said, Ray, you need to get you a can call and give it a try. So he bought him one, and he can't hardly hear. I mean, he's got hearing aids to turkey hunt with now. And he was on one of the muzzleloader hunts. It was later in the year, actually. I think it didn't start back then until like the 13th, 15th, whatever. He actually called a buck in, killed him nice eight. And then last year on one of the hunts, he had, he said, if I can hear the deer walking, he's close. He said, so I sat real still, and it walked out from under his tree. Right, a, I don't know, maybe close to 130-inch eight-point. Killed him. I said, Ray, was you playing with that can call? He says, yeah, I got tired of looking one way and turned my stand completely in the tree and hit it a few more times and come straight to him. Let me ask this because um, I feel like the can call, and we're talking about like the Primo's can call. Right. Um, is probably one of the most iconic calls for a Southerner that I've ever seen her. It was the one thing growing up, and this is kind of funny for a lot of people. I don't know. Growing up, it was always like, man, if you're going to the woods and there was any time t- towards the rut, you had a can call with you. It was probably some, some kind of hand warmer, some kind of like heavy gloves and maybe some binos, something like that. But the can call was always with you. Learned that from my uncles growing up. And I've heard mixed results from different people using the can call. I was going to ask you guys kind of time frame of the year and when to implement that. If someone was going to implement a can call, uh, whether it's, you know, dead center of the rut, you know, if you do a little pre-rut uh, or whenever you kind of time frame it. But I know like Wes Moe, he's talked about him and his son, Wesley, using can calls with a ton of success, especially down more like South Alabama and everything in different areas. Um, so, you know, it seems like it'd be extremely effective. And that's calling in big deer too, not just calling in deer, but like big bucks. So, I mean, what is y'all's take on the can call when it comes to the time of the year of when to implement that? I think a buck's ready to breed as soon as a velvet comes off because you'll hear somebody say, man, i seen one chase him. You're sitting over there. Man, I ain't seen nothing in days. It hits all over. I think, yeah, I think they're ready to breed as soon as the velvet comes off because they're no different than we are. When the opportunity is there, they're going to be after them. I think one year, I think I was a week, two weeks ahead of the rut, the main rut, I had two really nice deer just burning one up buck roar run up through there anyway and uh, that was way early and you didn't hear nobody else hear nothing about no chasing going on so it's happening sometimes it's happening whether you know it or not in the middle of the night in the thicket i go by as soon as you start seeing scrapes start doing your you know rut or pre-rut stuff so and this year like where is you know october 1st they're making scrape lines like crazy so you could you could rattle and stuff like that early so. Uh, so with the can call, I just I just want to touch on this because I'm sure some newer hunters, you know, some more experienced hunters, like oh yeah, you know, I know how to use a can call and all this kind of stuff. If you're implementing a can call, is there any certain 
Is there any is there any strategy at all to using a can call? How many times? Well, what you try- about like cadence? Yeah, I, I was just about to. Sorry to butt in, but like I'm I'm very curious about this about cadence, uh, like the length of the notes you're doing with the can call because I think it might be similar to uh, like a grunt call. Growing up, you thought you know you just like roar on a grunt call and do all this stuff, and then guys like Richard say no, you do like this more tending dr- grunt type thing where it's more like meh, and it's not like that long drawn out grunt. So I'm wondering if the can call with the bleat, are you doing like a long drawn out bleat or are you doing a couple uh, shorter ones, you know, in quick succession? Just what does that cadence look like? I'll switch it up. I'll do, I'll, 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 I really like that, you know, and then every now and then I'll do the, you know, do that a couple of times then. So, but it, it just, wherever you feel like you want to do, but I, I think they're all different, just like the buck grunts. I've heard them. Make so much just uh, god awful grunts while they're chasing it. So I'm like, God, you're just tore up by the time you see them. So then the rest, and it'd be a four point. Yeah, it's just they, they, you know, uh, down here they're different. You know, they're all they got different voices, but it's it's. So I would I mean, just mix it up how you want to do. But I like the the long one to me. Yeah, if I'm going to buy one, I like going to a store that's got plenty of them because I'm gonna sit there and roll them over. I get that one. That I heard one watched a doe come trotting through. It was a hunt going on, so we didn't have success over here. So the hunt the following weekend was on the opposite side. So we took one truck, left off our guns, and it went over. And we had a doe come running down, and she was just trotting and doing the. Really? I mean, just. We was just sitting there waiting to watch a buck come out, but I guess she was must have been so wound up. She was going down through there to get one to come to her. I don't I don't know what was going on, but when I go find a can call, I play with all of them until I get that right one. Matter of fact, we went to Cabela's a couple of weeks ago and had a pile of them. I go rolling them over. My buddy's with me, and I I said, "There it is." I keep holding, and I'm digging through a few more playing. He said. You going to get that when I said, yep. <laughs> well, I guess that's like a lot of things, you know, having a different tone to it. Like they're not – just because they're all manufactured from the same company everything doesn't mean they're all – there might be something about one that might make it off sounding compared to the others and vice versa. Like one may sound as a lot better to you, kind of knowing that tones and everything else compared to some of the other ones that are out there. It's that long – when you roll it over, not that – could. You know, all, all, all of them's different. Yeah, some of them fall a little bit quicker, which will make it a lot shorter than one of those that like kind of a little bit more drawn out. Um, and that's I'll tell you one thing that's crazy. I've never seen a doe do that. That's that's interesting actually seeing that a doe is in the person. Only one. Yeah, I've always asked people how many people. I'm like, how many times have you ever seen a doe do that sound? And I'm trying to think if I've ever met anybody that's seen it. Like, oh, I don't know. It was good marketing. It's good marketing employee saying that you know this is a, a uh, what a doe sounds like when she's uh that bleat. But uh, anyway. Um, Back to the story. Well, Andrew, did you have anything else on the calling aspect before we kind of move on? No, that about covered it for me. All right, cool. We're over here snacking and everything. Miss Kathy brought us out some uh, some meatballs and everything, so we're trying to do that while we're on the podcast. Uh, but um, so with everything else kind of with the rut kind of kicking and roll, rocking and rolling, biggest thing, of course, is persistence and kind of putting yourself in the right position, going off the sign. But is there anything that guys can do? Can you actually key in on scrapes and rubs at this point of the season when the rut's kind of rocking and rolling or about to really kick off? Or is it something that really does – that there's no uh, rhyme or reason as in, hey, you know, to go sit on any scrape lines or, or rub lines or anything like that and focus more on your doe groups right now? Right now, I like to bow hunt around them. If it's low pressure, I might would rifle hunt around them. But high pressure, I like to hunt travel. 
and then where the doe groups you if you hunt in there long enough you'll know where the doe groups like to stay that one area i'm going there the one i'm wanting to hunt the next well this weekend and then thanksgiving week it's just where i know the deer travel he showed up in 2019 and he's back and i plan on staying right there where he's at now there are does are and plenty of acorns and the, the the thickets there i mean it's got everything every ingredient you want right there in that one spot okay so you got the, you got the isolation security cover food source does and you know historical sign of hey this buck's you know been in this area before from you know what you've been finding on trail camera man hey listen from historical it's thanksgiving week but from what i'm getting fed to me from other places people i can't wait so i'm gonna just go in and start waiting him out yeah jamie's pushing all those chips into the middle of the table right now we're cashing in yeah i'm the last man on the <laughs> the pole here i know yeah listen tony myers killed a big one freaking michael kills a giant and i'm like i'm like listen hey it's jamie's turn now it's about to go yeah down. when you see comments made <laughs> hey <laughs> this one's got this and this and all right it's your turn and fight <laughs> I'm trying. <laughs> we call it the trio. Come on now. Uh, Black Warrior Trio. Um, no, well, okay. Well, I want to kind of get over uh, – I want to talk a little bit more about this buck, Michael. Uh, can you walk us through kind of the hunt and everything and kind of what went down and also, again, the timing of, hey, why you're going to go into this spot and the timing of the setup and everything else? I mean, again, within reason, you don't have to go super, super specifics kind of with the spot, but, like, just, you know. Well, I knew that this area, and, and especially this buck from the last – Last year, especially that around November, after November fourth or something like that, he he was on camera a couple of times in the daylight. So I'd made plans, and I even bought a crossbow, like I say, for him. And Jamie was hitting on a good point because that area is is steep, and uh, with a regular bow, it would have to be just perfect to shoot at that angle. So I bought a crossbow to use when there wasn't a motor or a gun hunt going on to to be able to bow hunt with him in that area when some leaves fall off too. So. But I and uh, I'd also, like I said, made a plan to try to put one in the record book with the the muzzleloader because I'd already, you know, I'd already fulfilled two goals. I put one in with the bow and then one with the gun. So I thought well, I'm gonna try it with the muzzleloader this year. I was gonna carry muzzleloader all season. So, but uh, our first chance to go in this area on the muzzleloader hunt was this past Friday, the last day of the muzzleloader hunt. And me and Kathy was had our camp out there when we were ready. And we got up early and I got her situated an hour before daylight and about 30 minutes before daylight when i got situated and it was uh 30 about 37 degrees kind of been foggy the last couple of days so and uh it was damp so i couldn't hear anything and that's another thing about i don't i can't hear that good so all my when i'm setting up to hunt a travel core or whatever i'm always parallel set up where if, if something comes by me it's either coming from behind me or from the front of me, because it's easier for them not to see if you do any kind of movement. They're, you're kind of hit by the tree, so so that's one that's one strategy thing I, I should have talked about earlier. But anyway, that's what I do. But it's pretty quiet morning, and around say nine forty or something like that, I just seen some movement, and there was a young buck standing twenty something yards from me, like a six or seven point. That you know, some people probably would have shot on, especially in this area, but. Uh, he come on by just milling around. He went up by Wide Oak, you know, uh, eating acres and pilling around. I'd look back behind him every now and then, didn't see anything. And he went on, got out of sight. And then I looked around a little bit. And in a few minutes, I seen something move. And I seen this big old huge rack on the left side just slipping through some, like, them, uh, Calcutta, uh, big old Calcutta leaves, where it was, in the little bushes. 
And I was like, oh, my God, you know, it, it's big. I didn't know if it was one I had on camera. So I tried to get ease around, and uh, he stopped behind his tree. And all I could see was his rear end. He just froze. And I'm thinking, well, the wind's right, but I don't know what. But I've got scope on him, hammer his back. I, said, I don't know what's going on. I'm thinking, well, if I shoot him in the hip, you know, I can break him down, you know. But, but I didn't want to do it. And he stood there and stood there. And he finally stepped out a couple steps and started walking. I just... This all happened, you know, probably 30 seconds top, but it seemed like it was 10 minutes. I, my heart's pounding, probably sweat, probably done dripping. I, it just, I was tore up because I knew it was a big deer. So but he started walking, and I held on his shoulder and squeezed. And I can remember in the scope seeing his tail go up, and he lit out of there. You know, he got smoked so, with a motor loader. So I'm sitting there in the tree, and I'm thinking, I'm going to wait an hour because he didn't go down. But I heard some kind of crash, but I couldn't tell if it's a death crash or maybe him jumping through a top or because his rack was huge like I say he might have got hung in something for all I know but but I'm tore you know slap up just shaking you know getting, getting the muzzle loader reloaded and <laughs> and then just trying to get everything listening and dang squirrels are making all kind of racket you know they're going crazy so well after about 30 minutes let pee you know I can't stand I'm shaking I'm standing up shaking so I get pee ball out and I'm sitting there you know listening trying to hear anything being quiet and I, and I say well how do I get through that I'm going yeah, I'm gonna yeah, I'm gonna, I'm gonna start easing some of my stuff in my backpack. Cause it's been about 30 minutes, so well, evidently I forgot about this pee bottle. So I'm messing around. Next thing I know, I hear some god awful racket. That thing's bouncing off the trees, dang rocks, <laughs> sticks. I think, dang gum. Like if he's alive, his sucker's gonna leave the state. But so anyway, I said, well, crap, you know, all that racket. So I'm gonna ease down there and try to find where I shot at. So well, I ease down there. And uh, didn't see no blood where I thought I shot at. I said, well, I think he went over this little knob down to toward the bottom. So I walk over and look over that knob, see if I can, you know, see him. I get down there, I don't see a dang thing. And I'm thinking, that gum, he might not, you know, all the stuff going through your mind. You know, you done missed. But, so I come back and about where he's at, and I started zigzagging, you know, cutting straight lines, trying to cross the where the blood trail would be. And I found a couple of drops. That's all right. So it's about 25, 30 yards from where I shot him at. So. Well, I was taking a couple more steps, and there's a big old pile of blood. There's some more blood. And then I come up on a beech tree after about 40 yards, and that thing had a big old skint place in it fresh for something that skinned it up. You know, that might have been more than a crash, I don't know. Then right past that, there's some boulders and stuff, and I see a big rack laying, you know, sticking up. And when I could see that part of the rack, I said, that's him on camera. So so then I'm tears starting to swell up, you know. I said, I've got him, you know. I'm thanking Jesus and getting out there. Golly, it's just a big old huge body. His neck was just humongous, you know. And, Glands was dark and he was smelling. I said, God, this is, you know, it's an amazing monarch. So I done a little video and then that's where I got kind of, well, I thought I was calm. I was trying to gut him and uh, I had blood all over everything. Me, backpack, <laughs> but I was slapped, tore up. So I tried to drag him a pretty good ways to, because I figured I was going to have help. So I didn't really want nobody to know exactly where I was hunting at. So I brought some people in there. So I drugged for an hour. So backwards, I had, had to pick up just oh, really? on two hands backwards for an hour trying to get him up this dang hill and uh, up to a shelf like, and uh, it took me an hour to get up there. Then uh, I had to get Kathy. She, you know, she I usually pick her up around 11 something. I, we hunt till 11 most of the time, then I'll pick her up and get her back, and then I'll go eat and hunt. But, but I got to her about 12, and she said she could see me coming up and have my sleeves pulled up, blood, you know, everywhere. She said, I know something was up. And I said, she said, I heard you say, you got it. I got him. So, and that's what I told her. So I got him. So you did. So she climbed. she's trying to climb down fast. But anyway, we went and got some help. And it took us two hours after we got back to him to get him out with the carts and stuff. So, But he's, I mean, I, and I checked him on, on um, Game Check 
as a 14 point because I'm tore up. I, I'm not, I'm not <laughs> counting on some, some stickers and stuff. And anyway, we're getting to checking stage. Well, I, I texted Bodges and said I got a monster, which you know, y'all know, see where I put the monster buck down thing on. So if I, if I see me put something on Facebook like that, monster buck down, so you better look out because that's that's what it's going to be. I'm not going to do it, you know, without messing for trying to mess with people. But I'm, it's for real, so. And I told that Bodges I had a monster and said, oh, I'll wait. So we got there about five something and uh, he was pretty surprised himself. So, but he's a, he, I, I mean, I commit, I completed my goal on the first day that me going down there hunting. So now I've got to work on Kathy and get one. So. Yeah, absolutely. So um, I, there's a couple, I got a couple questions about it. How far, when he was coming in, he was coming in from behind you? Right. How far was that shot when you shot him? About 45 yards. So. And that's kind of another thing. That the buck, the first buck, was about 20 yards, 22 yards, and he was he was more down the hill a little bit, and way back 100 yards or so behind that buck. So, so he was down 45 yards, pretty good. I mean, you know, close enough shot, really. So, yeah, close enough shot, but you're still. He's got, you know. Yeah. It's one thing about when I have a muzzleloader in my hand, like I shot that bear with muzzleloader. You got a muzzleloader in your hand, you don't have the confidence like you do with a rifle. No, no, you do not. Because <laughs> anything could happen. You know? Yeah, absolutely. It's like, man, you could have a, you know, the uh, the whole powder charge might go, not go off. Your primer might have an issue. Who knows what could have an yeah. issue? Um, I've heard of people not even putting a primer in. They, you only know, get up there and sit there without a primer and just snap. You know, that's a, a lot of stuff can go wrong. You're right. So, and I, I was nervous. And I'm, you know, you don't because you don't know that smoke stuff, and you you ain't you're not. You know, you're dang, you're dang sure I ain't going to quick shot back or another shot. Uh, we're talking a little bit more about this buck in just a second, but I want to segue but just while we're on the topic of this. How often, between both of you two, when you see a target buck, how what do you think the average, if you had to think back at some of the bucks you've killed, what's the average amount of time between the time you saw the deer to the time you were able to get a shot at them, especially on a firearm hunt or like a muzzleloader hunt? Like how much time do you think elapses from the time you see them to the time you shoot them? Me, it was less than a minute, nearly all of them. So yeah, they own you. It's just, sec- it's just seconds. So, well, uh, that's why and was- you've got to be able to. And that's a lot of people. You know, if you because you're going to shoot something every night, and you, well, it wasn't as big of a thought, but you've only got a, you know, split second to make your decision when you're going to shoot. If not, you're, and it's you know, a green. Right. Yeah, with all this yeah. rain we've had this time, I have never seen the leaves stay on this long and so green. That hunt Saturday, I had a a lane cut down to a bench, and I thought when I left Saturday night, I had tunnel vision. I mean, it was unreal. I didn't even know if I could even see a deer approaching the lane. It, it was terrible. The reason why I brought that up is just kind of share with the listeners. That's been my experience as well. Is it's a very quick. It, it's 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 a it's a do or die moment. It's 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 either you make it happen or he's gone. It's that kind of situation. So where I'm trying to get at is, you know, something like this could happen to anybody where you have a monster buck walk in on you, put yourself in the right position. But to be able to execute it in a very timely manner, because you might only have a few seconds to be able to make sure, first off, is a deer you're going to shoot? Yes. And then also execute the shot, whether it's with a bow, muzzleloader, rifle. Um, and, and that takes a lot, of, a lot of skill and experience because a lot of people see a deer like that. They get so worked up. They move too fast. They get seen trying to shift in the stand. They make a noise, something. And it's trying, like, trying to be smooth, but also execute the shot in a very short window of time is, is critical. Um, and we've interviewed guys from, uh, I think one guy that comes to mind is, uh, uh, Jim Forbes from Virginia and he's killed a lot of big deer up in Virginia, up in the mountains. And he's like, I think he said the average, he tracks everything. He has a really big detailed, uh, harvest journal of all the bucks he's killed. I think it's like average, like eight seconds from the time he sees the deer to the time he has to shoot it. 
hunt like muzzleloader season, rifle season. That's like the window time he has to be able to shoot the deer. And that's about on average. So it's like you quickly got to analyze it, shoot it before it's gone off the side of the mountain, you know, around the bench or whatever. Um, so and, I, and I would rather it happen like that because if, if it take, if you see them a long ways off and they're coming, I can't stand that. <laughs> that kills me. I don't care if it's a doe. I'm, I'm about nerve shook up. So the two big ones I've got with my bow, I've watched yeah. them for a while. Oh really? Oh, oh yeah. The the eleven, I actually killed him off a of greenfield, mm-hmm. and four does come up in the field, and he cut one out of the bunch. When he finally come up, run down to me, and I had to watch him come all the way down. And he dropped down a full sneak and come in trotting. I didn't know what was going to take place, but anyway, he stopped. The eight point, the big eight point that I ended up killing, I seen him coming around a bench or or the trail on top of the bluff, come around to me. Instead of sticking to the old trail, he turns. I'm already drawing my bow, getting ready. He turns and comes straight to me. And he's like eight yards and stops. And I'm holding my bow back. And I'm trying to look down and try not to – and that bow almost didn't – it almost closed on me once, and I pulled back. I thought, he's finna jet any minute. He dropped a few droppings out, and when he walked past the tree, I stepped on the side of that summit, leaned over, and I think when my arm touched my sidebar, I was able to shoot him in. But, man, and some people say, do you, you – how do you do it? How do you keep from falling apart? I guess when you hunt so hard for one, when the big ones do come in, it don't even uh, all that nervousness goes away. Right, you change gears, kill mode, basically, so instinct. So yeah, Andrew, I, I'm sure you can talk a little bit about that. Uh, Andrew's talked about it on the podcast before many a times of just blacking out in some of those situations, and it's not even like a nervousness. It's like, oh, we're going to execute, like execute the game plan. Right. Yeah, it's it's like a mental thing, man. It, we were we were at a clay shoot on Monday, and uh, it was like a formal clay shoot with like shooting stations, and you you'd say pull, and like they would they'd launch the bird and everything, like they'd launch the clay. And it'd be coming, and I and I shoot clays like a dove hunt. Like I'd let it come and come and come and like get real close, and then I'd throw up and shoot it real quick. And a couple of other guys were laughing, and they were like, "Man, that's weird," because you know all, all the clay shooters they'll throw up and they'll track it for a while and then shoot it. But I'm like, I, if I do that, I'm gonna miss. I'm gonna screw it up. I gotta. It's some, something about the mental aspect of like getting ready and then executing the shot. And I'm kind of the same way with deer. Uh, you know, I'm I'm kind of like y'all. I'd, I'd rather it be a pretty quick encounter because I'm like, there he is. Let's execute, get it done. If I have too much time, I'll think about it too much and, and end up screwing it up. It's very like instinctual for me. Did Andrew just describe and say that clay pigeons is like shooting a big buck? Is that what I just heard? <laughs> no, no, that's not what I was saying. <laughs> <laughs> Talking about shooting big bucks. He's like, oh, yeah, I was shooting clay pigeons, man. <laughs> the same thing. Uh, no, just give me a hard time. Chill out, bro. <laughs> no, um, uh, that's a good point. I mean, but that's, that's like the thing is, you know, all, all the, the two real big deer I'm thinking about from Tennessee, which I've talked about plenty of times, I never got nervous with those deer until after the fact. It's like when the encounter was in, had the bone in the hand or the gun in the hand, smooth, everything was going great until they were gone, and that's when it just fell apart. Like, I've, I, I've – I'm trying to think back if I've ever had like a situation where I had enough time to really get worked like super worked up before because again it happens so quickly it's like a matter of a few seconds they're in and out and you just got to make something happen and you don't have enough time to get nervous but yeah like I feel I feel terrible not feel terrible but like the guys that have like I mean nerves of steel hunting like in the midwest and you're hunting like big cornfields and you're seeing a deer from 400 yards away coming down the edge of a cornfield 
and he's coming all the way, like, you know, maybe us in Iowa. <laughs> I mean, you better keep it together for a long time before it's at, within bow range of you or muzzlet or whatever you're hunting with uh, before you got to execute it. I'm like, oh, I'd be a, I'd be a, a, a terrible mess in that situation. Uh, go back to Andrew's deal and talk about shooting a clay. That, that's another thing. If you if you figure out a system or process of how you're going to shoot or, or draw a bow or whatever, you find something that you're comfortable with and do that. Like what he was talking about, that's the way he feels comfortable doing, do that. Same way with your hunting style. Find a style or technique that you want to do that you feel comfortable doing and confident, do that. So and then it, it'll probably work out better for you. Don't try to, imp, you know, don't try to, change in the end of what you're doing it because you could have a bad result so stay, stay consistent that, that's, that's probably the biggest thing is like stay consistent don't always oh, i'm gonna try this next time i'm gonna try this time. like you keep doing that you keep trying something new every time you're gonna have some bad results probably if i uh in those situations but um back to this buck so first off so give it tell us again how much did he weigh 225 pounds and and how old was he six six, six and a half so. that's that's crazy i can't believe you drove that sucker let's hunt dude Drug him an hour uphill, man. Listen. Well, they were talking about when them guys come help it. I was strung up because I was so pumped or excited. Oh the, yeah, the adrenaline. But that thing that night, that night, I couldn't sleep over forty minutes without getting a cramp. So I was hurt. <laughs> it was rough. So. Well, so uh, yeah, talk to us a little, kind of like what happened afterwards. So of course you get the deer back. You know, you make the post and everything. Take some photos, and it just goes crazy i mean the feedback seemed awesome my phone is i've tried you know i apologize i've tried to answer what i can but my phone is un. i cannot recover everything i can't go back through everything that's been on there and part of the thing is we're at where we're at camp at i don't have that much signal so i'm i've missed calls and, and, and you know i've had a couple magazine calls and i've been doing stuff like that and then setting up with buck masters to score you know that was I'm glad BJ came. That was very interesting, and I got to do the Alabama Whitetail Records. I think Monday evening. So, but it's been a whirlwind of stuff. And I've, like I say, I apologize to the people I couldn't get back with, but I've, I've tried and I appreciate all the all, all the compliments and responses. It's been amazing. I've only had a couple of negative things, you know. So. I, listen, those guys are every, those they crack me up. Yeah. I was like, listen, y'all have too much free time. I, I saw the comments. I'm like. Oh Lord! Oh, like, yeah. Okay, but anyways, did you say the one where somebody drawed that the horn was missing yeah, yeah, in yeah, one yeah. picture? Yeah, yeah. I'm yeah. Like, well, I go look at the picture. Well, it's there. It just yeah blends in with the camo. It, it blends like, in with the camo. Yeah. So. No, no. Yeah, the guy was like, "Oh, the, the rack's fake." I'm like, "Well, you tell the biologist <laughs> and, and the guy that scored it too." Uh, yeah. Anyways, it's crazy. And that's one reason why I went and got people. Is I got I got people that you know four people that that seen where it was at and all that. So well, that's like um you know. Wes Moe told me about this when he shot his real big deer uh, a few years back, his 170-inch, a little over 170-inch buck uh, with the muzzle that put him at the time was number two. Now, he's sitting down with your buck. He's like now at number five. <laughs> but, hey, he's good. Well, I'm, I'm sorry, Wes. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> no, but uh, no, he called me. He was so excited uh, when he saw the photos. He's like, dude, he's like, I think that deer is every bit of, you know, the, the, the record. Uh, yeah, and he called me when I was on the way driving down there talking about it. I, said, I don't know. And another good thing is that Chad Morgan, the one that had the yep. number one, he, he messaged me and, and told me congratulations. <laughs> I really appreciate that. So. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, because he had the uh, state record for, for quite a while. About I mean, five since, years. Yeah, since 2016, uh, 190 inches. Um, so, I mean, just uh, – and that was that was huge. That was actually one reason why I started – I hunted one time uh, – Two times maybe Black Warrior, and it was after he shot that deer. Was was one of them. It was a muzzleloader hunt. Big, I went up there. Yeah, it was a big it, he, buck. big deer. But um, where I was going with this is uh, 
what Wes was telling me is when you shoot a big deer like that, they're just the rumor mill just goes crazy. And it's like, and then one thing he said is like, hey, if I ever shoot another big deer like this, doing making sure you do everything right, get the game local game warden involved, everything you know with the recovery, so that there's truly like someone to track that. Hey, this deer came from X Y Z area, and there's a way to kind of you know tracking you have multiple witnesses because the problem is unfortunately there's so many people out there that uh, you know will spread you know negative rumors about different things when it comes to you know whether a deer got killed on a high fence property or got killed wherever or got poached or all this kind of stuff crazy things happen when people when someone kills a big deer and people get jealous uh, which is unfortunate and just I don't know un- this unfortunate aspect uh, of deer and antlers you know I'll say this nobody you know I'm not the biggest turkey hunter I don't see anybody get worked up about big turkeys, okay? But something about a big old antlers, you know, spurs and bears, like, okay, yeah, it's, it's a bird's bird, whether it's two-year-old, four-year-old, it don't really matter. Now, a buck, totally different, changes the game. You, you know, know, I've been trying to talk them into, like, having some uh, turkey man, where they got to shoot them, where they got, you know, inch and a half spur or, or ten-inch bear, like, what are you talking about? We got to do it with deer. Well, you can't say that. Well, you still got to judge a deer, so yeah, you hey. start judging turkeys. You can't shoot them to the three. <laughs> 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 Hey, you're out there with the binos, you know, he, he's 40 yards from me, like, hey, yeah. like, trying to do some measurements with it. No, I like to eat them. Yeah, they are great. So, yeah, yeah, absolutely. That's just poking fun, but yeah, but it's nope. most, well, like I say, most of the comments have been, you know, incredible, and I appreciate it, so. Absolutely. And, and this, this buck, you know, like I say, he's, it, pictures don't do him justice, he, he deserves all the credit he gets, because he's a true monarch, you know. And I'm just blessed to be involved in it, you know. Yeah, I want to pull that chair up a little bit and lean him up here. I go back to the history with him. I had him, you know, like I say, I'm, he's only the second buck that I know of that I've had that much history with where I had three years of pictures. So I had another one, me and this other guy that we know we made it to seven and a half, and we never seen him. We were getting him every year, and he, I guess he died, so. Yeah, that, I mean, that, that, we just got the we got the rack right here, and the deer is just absolutely ridiculous. You know, also another thing about this. Uh, well, let, let me ask this: uh, Steve Lucas, uh, who is a uh, master scorer with Buck Masters, uh, you know, I know he scored uncountless numbers of bucks and right. deer. Um, but you know, what, what was kind of his reaction to it? I mean, I know you kind of talked to him for probably a little while. He was pretty. He was excited, and he he kind of you could tell he's kind of like because I kind of had a guess, and he was like. You can tell by looking at nah, he ain't gonna be more than that. But anyway, he was, you know, he was he was cool to be around, and, and he he talked about it nice. And well, again, the official score is uh, one ninety five and six eighths. Uh, just an unbelievable deer. Um, I mean, just you know, top to bottom, he's got everything. He's got the mass. He's got the character. He's got the uh, the the tine length. He's got the main beam. I mean. Well, main beams were like twenty eight inches. You said no, no. He's he's not twenty five and and twenty four. Now the G two, one of them was fourteen, another one was thirteen and something, and the G three was a uh, twelve. And you know he had a uh, he's kind of not really that big a spread at fifteen and something inside spread, but he had the mass starts out at six and then carries out pretty good. He yeah. stays he stays at four pretty much the whole way or more. So. Yeah. He's, I mean, he's, and a bunch of points. So. A bunch of points. Yeah. What was it? Eighteen scoreable points. Eighteen scoreable. So. Yeah, that, that's unbelievable. So uh, again, new the new state record. You get all that confirmed. Putting the record book uh, with uh, what, what's the record? I feel terrible saying this because I should know it. But is it is it Al- is it Whitetails of Alabama or Wh- Alabama Whitetails? Alabama Whitetail records. So. Alabama Whitetail records. Do that Monday. This buck matcher, you know, is confirmed for that. I've got a message from somebody that he had at Buckmaster or something said don't make congratulations for it so so that's confirmed so then the white to Alabama white to record is going to be pretty much the same so yeah absolutely so that that'll be unbelievable well uh well, the worst thing you'd like for you know you're mm-hmm. talking about Boone and Crockett yeah they wouldn't make Boone and Crockett 
Yeah, yeah. All the deductions. One ninety five. You know, you know, after deduction. So, I mean, it's pretty close, but he he won't cut it. So. Yep. Well, the uh, yeah, one ninety five is a non typical. Right. That's crazy. That's wild. So, golly. So. Yep. Well, the um, you know, with this deer, you're also you know, you you told me, but just let the listeners know because we had some people ask. They, I guess people, I guess some people haven't processed enough deer or had deer mounted or whatever don't understand that you got a skull mount you got a skull cap a buck to get it mounted because there's people commenting man i can't believe he just man what a killer man he just cut the antlers off of him man he ain't gonna get it mounted i'm like what i'm like what are you talking i'm like have you ever had a deer mounted my man you gotta get it i'll say one of them today what i don't understand he's like he ain't the one guy was like man he's he's a sure enough deer killer just cutting the antlers off a 195 inch buck that will not ever happen to us Oh man, I'm not. I'm probably man. I'll, I'll probably shoot a 120 this weekend and mount it. I mean, that's how much yeah. I care about them and how much I respect them. But yeah, that's not going to happen with me. So absolutely. And, but but uh, you're going to get full body mount on full that. body mount. So he, he he deserves our bit of. And another cool thing was I was talking with somebody. Is my brother? You know, you know, everybody. Yep. We've talked about my brother there. You know, he killed a 180. The non typicals. There were two brothers with two big non typical yep. bucks. So off of public land. So. So um, we're proud of that. So, Andrew, what, what do you have on your end? Is there anything else you kind of want to discuss, talk about, or, or uh, converse on? Oh nah, man, I mean that pretty much covers it for me, Michael. I'm so I'm so glad you killed this deer, man. It couldn't have happened to a better guy, and uh, I, I'm I'm just glad to see it happen. So well, hopefully it. this isn't the biggest deer you kill, man. Hopefully you kill a bigger one one of these days. That'll be nice. I appreciate it. And, uh, <laughs> my wife, now, if y'all wait on her, she, sooner or later, she's going to, like I say, she's already had a 190 before. She just couldn't get the, get the shot on it. She could have shot. So it much, and she says it's bigger spread and stuff than that one. So, so we'll, we'll see. So. Cruiser Saddles is the newest addition to companies supporting this podcast. Cruiser is the maker of saddles and saddle hunting gear. Uh, me and Jacob actually met Chad, the owner, at our Bozen Brews event in March of 2020. We were demoing a lot of different saddles there from a lot of different companies, and he showed up with his products, which were brand new at the time, and everybody there was extremely impressed with him, including me and Jacob. We ended up getting some of the saddles for this past hunting season, used them all year from, basically, we started hunting in August and hunted until February. No complaints. Really liked them. The durability was there. The comfort was there. The wearability was there, you know, walking in and out to the stand. So we're very impressed. You can go back to some of the episodes from last year and actually hear us, you know, live through the season talking about these things. We talked about them a lot in the podcast from last year's season. Just really impressed, and we think you would like them too. So go to their website and check them out. We ran the XC. Orders ship the same day or next day unless otherwise indicated. And you get free shipping on orders over $300. We really appreciate Cruiser for supporting this show. You guys go show them some support as well. Actually, that's funny. I was going to bring that up. So I thought, you know, uh, thought we were going to have Kathy on the episode, but she has some stuff going on. But uh, I was talking to her earlier, and, uh, you know, when, when you weren't around, I was asking Kathy one-on-one. I was like, so, Kathy, you know, compare this deer to that, that one night that you saw. You know, who's as big as she's? Oh, by, mine by far. <laughs> <laughs> <All right. laughs> so I'm, I'm, like, I'm like, you know, my kill's a – a 195, almost a 196. I'm like, Kathy's turn is a 198. Mm-hmm. <laughs> or 200. Or no, 200, no. yeah. <laughs> yeah. Jamie. Hey, Jamie, you got to get that one this weekend. What are you talking about, man? You got to draw one out of the hat, pull one out of the hat. No, but it's very possible this year because we, we, we've been talking up quite a bit with the three years in a row, everything being green mm-hmm. and mild winter. So it, And you can tell by the ones they could kill in Missouri and all that place. There's several 200-inch deer in them other states that's been taken. So. And there's been some nice ones in Alabama taking already too, so uh, but it could happen. Somebody somebody could highly get a 200 this year. So Jamie, 
not putting any pressure on you, but I want to ask, what do you think it's going to take for you to be successful this year when it comes to, you know, tagging tagging a big deer? Staying persistent. Good weather and stand time. Stand, oh, I got the vacation time put in for it. So. <laughs> we just got to get the weather to cooperate. So Absolutely. Well, that, that's the biggest thing I want to leave with the listeners with is, hey, guys, you know, if you are in one of these states or areas like even Alabama or, or these states, again, that has a November rut, persistence, stand time is by far the number one factor when it comes to being successful out of all of our guests. I mean, we just had Bobby Worthington on Monday. Uh, again, this episode's coming out tomorrow. We're recording this on Tuesday. Um, but Bobby, Bobby Warden, his episode came out on Monday, and that's his number one thing is, hey, persistence, all-day hunts, in the rut. You know, he che- if he's checking cameras, it's at night. If he's hanging tree stand, it's at night. If it's daylight, he's in the stand. And that's the number one factor. And, again, he's killed more giant Boone and Cracker Bucks than anyone I've ever met in the southeast. Um, and it's just one of those things, hey, you got to have time to stand. But I'll say this, you know, if you're one of those guys, you don't have a ton of vacation time, Man, you got to make it work with what you got. So and that's a huge thing. I know both of you guys are very persistent about, hey, you got your certain time of the year. You know, they, they're not going to see you at work, or at least not very much. And uh, that's a huge factor, again, that time in the woods, time in the stand of being successful and, and uh, being able to also hold out on certain deer to be able to have an opportunity. Again, hold out on those, you know, two-year-olds to be able to get an opportunity at a really good three-year-old, four-year-old, or older deer. Right. You set your goals, and, you know, you shoot what makes you happy, but you set your goals and then try to stick with that. Don't get – you know, don't forget the pressure and kind of, you know, I'm going, I got to shoot a deer. So, you know, some people cave in, but I got to shoot something. So. <laughs> it's like, Jamie, I didn't mean to put no pressure on you in this episode, my man. <laughs> <laughs> hey, I'm, I'm over here thinking, my man, I got I to gotta kill me a good deer too. I'm like, listen now. I'm like, you know, Michael, Michael Pike. Uh, God, yeah, I keep forgetting this. Yeah, Michael, Michael. No, but uh, Pike's been up in Missouri for the last two weeks, and now he's over in Tennessee trying to get a buck. So, you know, we'll have him on probably next week's episode. Uh, but, man, he's been getting after it, too. And just, again, time in the woods, you know, having a lot of opportunities, just, you know, trying to, you know, close the deal on some good deer. But, God, this is awesome. Again, Michael, just like Andrew said, uh, couldn't have happened to a better guy. Again, when I, I saw the deer and everything, and I, I was talking to Wes and a couple other guys, I'm like, it's so cool. You know, it's cool enough that you shot the deer, but it's it's so cool for some that you kind of personally know and, you know, kind of friends with throughout the years to kind of see a deer like this get killed and, again, someone that deserves it because absolutely put the time and work into it. Um, but also someone that's, you know, doing it right and is like a good um, – is a how, how, how should I put this? Hold on. A good um, person to really look up to when it comes to being a good woodsman, especially for the newer hunters and everybody else out there. You know, someone to look up to and be like, listen – Michael's doing it right, and I, I really appreciate it. And yeah. and, I, and these podcasts and things y'all are doing, and is has actually brought some things back up that you know that, that we've done over the years, and it kind of refreshes my mind on that. So everybody listen to that stuff, and just keep listening to it, because you'll pick up bits and pieces of the things that you probably used to do or forgot or or need to do, and all this helps. So and, and I'm glad to be involved with y'all, and I, I really appreciate it. I'm, and thanks for the compliments and stuff. So, well, awesome. Well, before we kind of wrap it up, uh, Jamie, you got any final thoughts or anything? Fire for this weekend? No, no, <laughs> no. I, I mean, <laughs> we're we're waiting on the picture to come here. The, I know. Listen, uh, hey, listen, we're gonna have to have a group message going. Yeah. Come uh, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, kind of see what's going on. Put that little teaser text out on Facebook, whatever. That's my plan. <laughs> I, I, <laughs> that is my plan. Cause you text me, got a got a got a monster down. I, Tony texted me at work this morning. Right, yeah, I said, "Well, send me a pic when you uh, get over, uh, uh-huh. get to him." He said, "Well, I just shot him. I ain't got down yet. Yeah. Something of that nature. I had to right. go back and read the text." Yeah, but. I ain't went to him yet, but I think it's a good nine. <laughs> so, yeah, so and I was like, Man. Well, I love it stuff. That's, I mean, that's all exciting and it just but, keeps you pumped up. 
I really feel good and honored that they both text me, you know. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. You know. Absolutely. Yeah, that is that great. they think of you enough to text right. you that they, I guess, share the moment with you. Well, yeah, I you, do too. It's, it's awesome. You know, we got, you, we got awesome camaraderie with all of us. Oh, now, yeah. now it's 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 amazing. So absolutely. Well, one thing I forgot to say is that man, you had you had a, you had a lucky hat on, my man. Jimmy, I wonder if y'all noticed that. <laughs> oh yeah, listen. So yeah, well, Michael's wearing that Southern Outdoorsman blaze orange hat, baby. Get that on the website. <laughs> that, that was awesome. Jimmy, do you have one of those hats? Uh, listen, hey, lucky hat. I'm telling you. Hey, I've had it on. <laughs> <laughs> well, don't tell me that, man. <laughs> I've had it. Well, I'm seeing deer. I've tried something different. You yep, know, yep. And they've coming in and. Well, I can give you my hat if you need it. So. <laughs> <laughs> it's, got a hey, it's got plenty of sweat on there. Yeah. It's got a nice. Yeah, a very nice cover scent. I had some old man at check station grab me up, started rubbing all over. I want some of your luck. So, <laughs> so I can give you my hat if you need it. So. Nah, <laughs> that much sweat on it. I'm trying to take all precautions yeah. right now. You know, yes. scent free as yeah. much as I can. Yeah, sweat, yeah. blood, man. It's got the whole it, nine it's yards. Got it. It's got all of it. <laughs> it's got it, tarsal so. gland it on is, there. It is broken. So I don't want that tarsal gland. He may be known in that area. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, then the other bucks yeah. like, oh, I ain't coming around him yeah. now. Listen, because, yeah, he don't have many broken off points. So, uh, they got a couple, but it's kind of surprising, but yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Well, awesome. Well, guys, uh, listeners, appreciate y'all listening. Make sure, of course, you're subscribed to the podcast. We got a listener success story come out this Friday. Also, if you use any tips or tactics you learn on the podcast from any of the guests, please shoot us a message on either Facebook or Instagram, or of course, you can email us at the Southern Outdoorsman dot uh, com uh, and let us know. You know what's worked for you. We've had a ton of listener success stories come in from episode two ninety with Richard Fott calling um, calling the right way with Richard Fott over the last couple days. Uh, but appreciate all y'all's feedback and appreciate y'all listening to this week's episode. Guys, gentlemen, thank y'all for coming on. Thank you. We appreciate it. I really enjoyed it. Good to be here. Thanks again, everybody, for tuning in to another episode of the Southern Outdoorsman. And thank you to Blackberry Smoke for the music for the podcast. Also, to follow along with us, make sure you check us out on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube. And if you'd like to support the show, you can go to patreon.com forward slash the Southern Outdoorsman. Until next time, y'all stay Southern. Y'all go ahead and write down the dates, June 28th through June the 30th. Go ahead and just mark those off your calendar so you can be at the Dalton Convention Center in Dalton, Georgia for the 2024 Mobile Hunters Expo. Y'all heard a a ton of content from that expo last year that we posted. Uh, We talked about it a ton. Look, if you're the kind of person that listens to this podcast, this show was literally made for you. It was literally designed for you, which means you're going to love it. You know, all the best companies in mobile hunting are going to be there. A lot of the best deer killers in the Southeast are going to be there. A lot of our past podcast guests are going to be there. It's just, it's going to be an incredible event. And hey, if you've been looking to either get into a saddle or maybe a mobile lock-on setup or just a different kind of tree stand setup, I'm telling you, it's worth the investment to go to this show because they're all going to be there and you, you will get to try all of them in person before you buy it. So you don't have to order something online and then wait for it and then try it when it comes in to see if you 
you really like it, you're going to get to go put your hands on everything all in one day, test it all out, and figure out exactly what works best for you and have it taken care of before deer season starts. So like I said, go ahead and put it on your calendar, guys. It's a no-brainer. you got to be at the show. Again, it's Friday, June 28th through Sunday, June 30th in Dalton, Georgia. We absolutely cannot wait to meet you guys there and talk hunting. So we'll see you at the 2024 Mobile Hunters Expo in Dalton, Georgia.